young black. Young black. A young black. Black. Black equestrian. 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 Black equestrian. Equestrian. Black equestrian. I'm a young black equestrian. I am a young black equestrian. <laughs>Welcome to another episode of Young Black Equestrians. In this episode, we are going to speak with Jermo from Frankie's Corner Little Thoroughbred Crusade and Trevor Claiborne from Farmer Brown, the MC. These two men have gotten together and produced an amazing program called Seeds to Saddles, where they teach kids about agriculture and the horse industry combined. So we are really excited to talk with them today and to hear more about their journey, more about their program, and more about their vision for the future. So stay tuned to hear more about these programs. But first, we'll have a word from our sponsors. Clinics for a Cause, an initiative sponsored by Online Riders Collective, connects amateur riders with top trainers in a program that benefits the Equestrian Aid Foundation. For only $25, riders submit videos up to 15 minutes long and get audio feedback from top clinicians recorded over their video clips. Outstanding trainers from all disciplines have volunteered to participate. Please visit the website for a clinician list and submission instructions, www.onlineriderscollective.com. We have on the line today, Trevor Claiborne, also known as Farmer Brown, the MC. Welcome to the show. What's going on? Thank you for having me. Glad you're here. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I guess briefly just start off with telling us a little bit about yourself, where you're located, and what you do. Okay, so uh, as you introduced me, my name is uh, Trevor Claiborne, aka Farmer Brown MC. Uh, I've been doing youth youth ag programming for the last five years. I got my uh, bachelor's science in ag, food, and environment at Kentucky State University. A little bit about my story. So I grew up in uh, Northside Lexington. We aren't really around farms. Uh, I guess kind of telling of my age, I grew up in a time of rap music and Michael Jordan. And so the conversation around where I was wasn't about agriculture, you know, especially, you know, people that look like myself. So most of the time you see melanated people, you see, you know, you see it through the lens of social studies books or movies like Roots, 12 Years a Slave. So when I was coming up, it wasn't something where we necessarily saw ourselves operating in that capacity. So fast forward, so in uh, 1995, when I was in high school, my friends and I started a, a hip hop group, Bonafide Circle. Uh, did that all through high school, ended up moving to Atlanta, Georgia in 2000. Uh, we interned with Ariston Motown Records for five years. There was some uh, local artists, Rob Jackson and uh, Black Coffee. So we toured around the country, you know, fast forward, lived the rap life that, that we thought we wanted. And I ended up back in Kentucky by 2007. I uh, ended up cleaning for a while. And so it was in 2008, some friends and I decided we wanted to do a lawn care company. And so I'm, I'm trying to fast forward to kind of give you a little context of where I'm coming from, right? Yeah, and yeah, so, that's all uh, right. My whole thing was, okay, yeah, we can do this lawn care because we were sitting up trying to figure out, now what can we do? We had noticed you, when you look around Lexington, where we're at in Kentucky, you never see more than 10 melanated people doing a specific, like, contracted job. We think about some of the jobs around the uh, city, we think about like farm maintenance, any sort of jobs that required a team. It, it was a, a personal challenge to myself and my uh, friends. Like, hey, why don't we ever see more than five of us operating within these spaces? And so with that mindset, I ended up uh, enrolling in, at BCT, that's Bluegrass Community and Technical College in Environmental Science and Technology. Mm -hmm. And at that time, you know, I was just looking to uh, legitimize our uh, lawn care business. But I noticed every Every class that I went to, I would, I would be the only melanated person in there. And so, you know, once again, I was fortunate to kind of turn up for a few years, you know, really see what the other side of the so-called uh, fun life is. Mm -hmm. So I came in with a little more appreciation of, you know, that opportunity of being in, in a space like that. And right. So fast forward, I ended up uh, getting a scholarship to attend a HBCU and I had to pick a STEM field. And so agriculture was uh, on the list. So it was more like a spin the bottle situation. So by this time, I was a non-traditional student. You know, most of my classmates were like half my age. 
And so, you know, I felt like uh, I picked agriculture because it was a STEM field. Uh, it was in Kentucky. And so, you know, I, was, I would like to think of myself as an astute student. I like, you know, whenever there's information, I like to absorb it. I'm kind of like a sponge. And so uh, it was the same dynamic even at an HBCU in these agricultural courses. It would be like one or two melanated people. And this mm -hmm. is at the HBCU. And wow. so by that time, you know, the uh, competitor in me is like, hold up, you know, what, you know what's up with this? And so I had a, uh, I was fortunate to have a brother. He was from Washington, D.C. He was a young brother. Uh, he was my uh, professor, Dr. Charlie Collins. He's at the EPA now. You know, he had a SUNY and wore Jordans, but he had a, a doctorate in chemistry. <laughs> and so I had never seen anything like that, you know, coming from uh, Lexington, Kentucky. But he had brought to my attention, he was like, Trevor, do you know that two out of every 100 farmers in North America are black? And, you know, I'm not much, much of a mathematician, but those, those numbers are stark. And this was back in 2015 when he brought that to my attention. So fast forward, uh, you know, I'm like a kid in a sense. When I get new information, I like to tell everybody around me. I like to, you know, you, you get that information, get that light, you want to share it. So mm -hmm. one day I was, eating, I was eating hamburgers with my niece at my mother's house. And uh, I had asked her a question. I was like, hey, Darion, where do you think? And she's five at the time just to kind of give you context. I was like, where do you think your uh, hamburger came from? She said, a tree. And she yeah. answered like immediately, unequivocally. And so, but the thing is, she's a smart little girl. And so in my mind, I'm, once I uh, it explained to her where she actually gets her tree, you know, kind of a, a summary of the food system, she was traumatized. Wow. So when you think about that, like her whole concept of a food system is something that I go to a store and buy. Like, she didn't understand, like, hey, you know, everything we consume comes directly from the ground, everything we use. And so, you know, the troll of me, I was like, you know what? I had a, a Practicum 2 project coming up, and I was like, you know what? I'll merge the two. And so that's where Farmer Brown MC came from. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a hip-hop head to the core. I came up on Down South Music, you know, Cash Money, No Limit, uh, started out on the West Coast, so to speak. But saying that to say I have a love for music and I, I can appreciate the uh, impact that hip-hop music has on commerce. Mm -hmm. And when you think, uh, going back to what I was telling you about my first context of agriculture, it was through the lens of uh, slavery. So that was marketed mm -hmm. to us. Mm -hmm. You know, when I talk to a lot of my elders, because my family's from deep south in Louisiana, it's a lot of conflicting stories that don't necessarily go with a, a social studies book. So once again, the, the deeper you go to it, you realize we've kind of been marketed away from something that we, we uh, intrinsically is a part of our culture. And so the thing with Farmer Brown, I was going to go to my uh, niece's school, add a little outfit, and you know, I can uh, send you some pictures and pull up the video when you get a chance. And I was originally going to reach 300 students. I was like, okay, can use some hip-hop audio and video productions, engage third through fifth graders in agriculture, just to you know, teach it in a fun way. I don't want mm -hmm. you to see it as just plows and cows, you know, some old white man on the tractor, like, no, you know, this is modern agriculture. We're not doing it for free no more. You know, if you understand uh, what the big corporations understand, they understand that the black youth are the ones that's driving the trends in the country. Mm -hmm. So my thing was, you know, what can I, since I didn't have really a background in the actual production, every, everything you see at a grocery store is marketed. Every product, think about Popeyes right now. Somebody is masterfully marketing it's, it's kind of embarrassing, you know, it's embarrassing the reaction, but that's not, a, that's not coincidental, it's being marketed. Right. So my thing was, how can you market uh, the importance of agriculture, not just on a career standpoint, but, uh, you know, academic paths, uh, personally at home, on a domestic level. Mm -hmm. And so our community is the one that is suffering the most from like the diabetes and all of these avoidable diseases and sicknesses that can be addressed through a better context of agriculture. Mm -hmm. So long story short, uh, and I'm not going to talk y'all's head off, I did my first presentation in April, 20, uh, April 2016 at my alma mater, Northern Elementary. And so real quick, so I got suspended from elementary school. I got expelled from middle, I got expelled from two middle schools. So I wasn't the best uh, student when I was growing up. You know, once again, it was the whole thing of, hey, I just want to be cool. I wasn't trying to learn nothing. That was for the geeks. Mm -hmm. So right. fast forward, that was the, the irony of an unbelieving coincidence. That was the first school that I presented in. And so I got my 300 students that day. And what I realized, you know, they jumped up and down, danced, had a good time. But I realized, like, you know what? They're going to go home back into their phones and their devices. Mm -hmm. And so even if I did get your attention, you know, how do you follow through? So that's when I more so embarked on uh, continuous programmatic efforts. 
Mm-hmm. So I've been doing that for the last five years. I've done over uh, closer to 200 than 175 presentations, um, mostly in Kentucky, Chicago, New York, Atlanta. And across the board, I'm realizing that our people, not only our kids, but our people are detached from food. Mm-hmm. Uh, society was able to enhance once we mastered the ability to produce food. Mm-hmm. And so my thing is, when you know, as we have to talk about reparations, I, you know, we have a lot of changes. We're on the 400-year anniversary of slavery. I think this is a good opportunity to really do some reflection on, now, where are we at? 400 years later. after, you know, it was our labor, our ancestors that were needed to make agriculture and what we're going to talk about with equine, you know, profitable sectors. And now we're only at 1.4%. I know that's the uh, percentage in Kentucky. And I know nationally the percentage is 2%. Mm-hmm. We reached our peak in 1925. To put it in context, that's when uh, what we call African-American farmers occupy 15%. We're 15% to where by 2012, that number was down to 2%. Mm -hmm. So this is post-civil rights era. This is post-affirmative action. You know, we've had access to all sorts of education now. You know, we have a whole new class of of earners and your athletes and entertainers. So why do we only, uh, why are we only primary operators of 2%? So saying that to say, that's the driving force behind uh, the work that Jermo and I do. And uh, just a little background uh, on Jermo and I. So I met Jermo about three years ago. And in Kentucky, you know, the only time you see a human being on a horse, you see it on derby time. Uh, you'll see the police rolling through the neighborhoods on horses. Mm-hmm. So Jermo, you know, he, he's, uh, he's real good with the horses and he understands shock value. So he rides through the hood on his horse, Max, right? And the, and the kids loved it. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you, you think in the horse capital of the world that you have all sorts of ag programming and equine programming for kids, and it's mm-hmm. not happening. And so Germo was able to uh, lock into that. There you go, speak of the devil. So yeah. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> My bad. What's going on, good people? Not much. So I was just uh, telling them how we met. So if you want to uh, finish up, I'll just tell them how here in Lexington, the only time a lot of kids are going to see a human being on a horse is during derby or seeing police rolling through the hood. Right. He was telling uh, us about Max. Oh, so Max is my quarter horse. And pretty much we use Max typically for everything. Um, and the reason we use him is because he is so docile. Um, and he's, I mean, he's great to be around with kids. And like, you know, like Trevor said, it's funny because I rode Max through the neighborhood one time, and a lot of people thought that, or a lot of kids thought that I was um, a, police officer, a police officer. And I told them, you know, I'm not a police officer. Police officers don't have full beards. So um, <laughs> I'm trying to change the dialogue um, just throughout the whole city, just because of what we normally deal with. Um, and again, like I said, my grandfather behind me, he is probably. Um, the only one that that I knew that was around horses consistently. Um, he did not want me to get into the whole equine thing because of everything that was happening on the backside of the track. And because he was that um, man that had, did all that, but he conformed his life to Christ, he didn't want anybody, well, he didn't want any of us um, to get in that whole realm. And he didn't realize I was not that kid that, you know, really got sucked into all that stuff. Um, so I just kind of went to work with him all the time and picked up as much stuff that I could pick up um, from him. Um, and then, you know, just working with other people throughout his his workplace is where I picked up a lot of my skills. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the, that's the essence of, you know, the programs that you're running, like just just that exposure, you know, kids are sponges, you know, they're always watching and they're always learning from their surroundings. So putting kids in those environments where they can learn, you know, about patience and compassion, especially with an animal, that's going to resonate with them for their entire lives. Mm -hmm. Trevor, you're on mute again. Can you hear me? Now we can. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so Jeremo, if you just want to, um, I mean, I guess you just told us about yourself, but at least tell us kind of what you're located, where you're located and what you um, 
have been up to lately? Well, um, located in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, mm -hmm. Pretty much, you know, our program is just typically to give kids an opportunity um, in equine. You know, again, we're the horse capital of the world, so they say. However, you know, our children do not know how to get in to equine or deal with horses. You know, they can go to Kentucky Horse Park, but that's one of those things where, yeah, you get a whole day experience. You may get to ride a horse, but what's after that? So that's pretty much, we give them that complete overall opportunity to understand, you know, the mind of a horse. They get the opportunity to see different type of horses. Um, not only that, but they get to understand the fact that, you know, doing certain things like round pinning and lunging is actually what makes a horse become trained. Um, and I guess most kids think that horses are the way that they are uh, from the time of birth. And, you know, after they come to the program, they get to learn that, you know, from if we go to the farm, that they get to see all the whole foaling and all that. So they get to see horses from the time they're born all the way up to the time we start training. Mm -hmm. They get that wide variety, which is great because, you know, those of us in the equine industry, we can tell them that, but for them to be able to see that on their own and to see it from the beginning stage all the way up to riding, um, none of my kids have actually gotten opportunity to see a horse being broken yet. Um, my two-year, well, my one-year is going to be two in March, so I'll start breaking him in March. So they'll get to see what that whole process looks like from the beginning to the end, in which, I mean, typically, if I really take my time, I probably can get a saddle on him probably within maybe two to three hours, um, just depending on where his mindset is. But just, it, it's great. Um, and again, you know, me, I don't know if Trevor got to tell you how we hooked up and, you know, any of that. Did he get to tell you any of that? He was getting to it. Yeah, he was getting to it. He hadn't reached that part yet. All right, Trevor, go ahead, man. You got it. You great at doing stuff like this. No, so, uh, <laughs> You know, one thing, so I, I'll just be real candid. Uh, we're not going to get micro-loaned or funded out of the situation we find ourselves in. You know, it's definitely going to take a grassroots approach. Mm -hmm. uh, Jermo can attest to this. We both, you know, uh, run the gamut of trying to find uh, so-called partners within the community, you know, organizations that, that tout this love for building community and providing educational opportunities. And it's the thing where, you know, you don't want to burn a lot of energy getting upset. So it's a, uh, mm -hmm. it's a thing, just take an initiative. And so, like I said, when I first saw Jermo, I, I didn't meet him under the context of, uh, of an organization trying to get funded. You know, this was just a brother out in the community. You know, he had a mission. Once again, it's just a grassroots approach. So both of us have uh, worked with people within the school systems, uh, the, the college, the, the secondary school systems. And it's a lot of red tape. You know, the, the kids that mm -hmm. we work for, the kids that we're serving need to be served now. Mm -hmm. And so the concept of waiting through grant cycles or waiting until somebody decides to find the importance of it, you know, you're letting two or three years pass in this kid's life when if they would have understood, you know, any one of the things that we're teaching now, they can move on this as they're uh, matriculating. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's pretty much how we came together. It was a few years ago. Yeah. I, I think we were... I think initially what happened were we, um, I don't know, we was at some community event together. Um, and I, I had heard about him, um, but I never knew who he was. And mm -hmm. so I think for the first year when I moved back to Lexington, uh, we were going to meetings often. Well, I was going to meetings just to try to see what the, the dynamic of the city was. And mm -hmm. it, we always ended up in the same circle, but we were both saying the same exact thing. Like we were going to meetings, and everybody kept talking about, you know, we should try this, we should try this, we try this. We go to another meeting, we should try this, we should try this. And for me, it was more or less that, you know, nobody was saying what they've tried, what they failed it, and how can we try again and make mm -hmm. it where Trevor had his own program, I had my own program. So, you know, ultimately it got to that point where it's like, okay, I know that, my horses need grass, they need great grass, but at the same time, I want the kids to understand the ranch living part of it too. That's not me, that's his thing. So let me see if I can partner with him. He was open arms. There was never any fuss back and forth about it. 
he was just open arms about it. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And like he talked about where we have to deal with so much red tape, where we as a people try to deal with one another, one another. And even when we try to deal with one another, it's kind of more or less, what can I get out of it? Where mm-hmm. Trevor and I, we're more so much like man, it's like, okay, it's not even about us. For us, it's about the kids. Giving them opportunity where if we don't expose them to it now, and if they can't see what's gonna happen in the long run, then who else is gonna do it? Nobody else is really gonna tell them that where, you know, you deal with people that it's all about, they'll use that kid or at risk. And I'm like, you know, all kids are at risk if you look at it. Yeah. Don't use a kid to say you're at risk to do for your personal gain. And that was the one thing. I mean, is completely genuine about what he does. Um, for him, it's all about letting these kids understand, you know, the fact that agriculture is always going to be around. It's been around for years and years and years, and the future is going to be about agriculture. So he teaches them from that small seed and let it grow. Whereas for myself, equine is that thing where it's been around for generations and generations. Our generation, or should I say, our ancestors were the ones that did the whole Kentucky Derby thing. They owned horses, they trained horses, and so on and so forth, but it got out of it. And where a lot of our kids don't understand that, you know, if you take this, it doesn't have to be your primary job. It could be a secondary job. If you look at early age, and once you go to that secondary education, instead of you going to wait tables for $3 and some cents an hour and getting your tips, now you can learn how to train horses, break horses, ride horses for anywhere from twenty to sixty dollars an hour, whatever that you think that you're worth. Mm-hmm. So that's where you know I don't know if you talked about um, seed and seed, and that's where we we have that opportunity now to bring the agriculture and the equine together and let them understand how they work together hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about that. Tell us about the the seeds and saddles. What do you guys have kind of planned for this program for the kids? So with the seeds and saddles, we, uh, you know, once again, we're taking a, I could say, research approach. So we've already had a few presentations in class. So we've been pretty much doing the grassroots for the last few years. But now what we're doing, we're uh, able to work in the schools more so we're taking a quantitative approach, whereas we're able to do surveys, actually actually figure out what it is that they're learning, figure out what areas are impactful. Uh, we're doing it in a session format, and so we do an introduction. This is two black males leading the room. Uh, second part is tour, agritourism. And so once again, there's, there's a whole part of agriculture that a lot of people don't think about is the tourism aspect. These mm-hmm. kids, most of the kids' parents haven't been to a farm, much less the kids. And so in Kentucky, where we're at in Lexington, we're surrounded by horse farms. We're surrounded by big production farms. And so it's one of those things where, I mean, this is a layup. It's a, it's a resource here. And so what Seeds and Saddles is, is Germo and I coming together to basically take, take these kids to these places. Uh, more than just a chaperone field trip setting, but an actual educational, consistent programming model. They like to, uh, and I'm throwing up the parentheses, get these underserved community minority around, take a couple of pictures, and then you don't hear nothing from them. Our approach is we're, we're wanting to start these kids with seeds. You know, literally and metaphorically speaking, we're starting them with seeds. Hey, this is what agriculture, this is the importance of understanding natural resources. Hey, horses, did you know the history of this horse? Do you know that this is like an international business? Did you know there's more to horses than just riding them? Did you know that there's more to agriculture? than just farming and so we're mm-hmm. able to break it into detail and uh both of both of us are well aware that kids aren't going to come come across people that look like them in many cases to present this information so the seeds and saddles is basically just a, a conglomerate of agriculture and equine okay is this a one-day event or or like a some kind of like club it's in, no it's not a club it's in a multi um multi-session so like you said, we have the introduction. So the introduction is more of that whole classroom aspect. So right. we do the classroom aspect and we give um, the history, we give the economic, and we give the educational aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Then uh, the second session, what we'll do is we will take them on a field trip. So whether it be a field trip to a farm, 
um, a horse farm or whether it be a agriculture farm. Right. And then the third aspect is where we kind of do um, the hands-on part. So whether it be um, planning, um, um, however Trevor, if he chooses to do um, the burrow planting or the hay planting or just the pot seeding plant, mm -hmm. um, then with myself, then they get to actually um, see max. They get to see um, different maneuvers. So we'll teach them, you know, some of the basic maneuvers, whether it be um, if they've never been around a horse, how to horse safety, how to approach a horse, how to walk a horse. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people think that, you know, those things are easy. You know, what Trevor does, he can do it and he makes it look easy. What I do, I make it look easy. But when kids get an actual hands-on approach from yeah. it, and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I right. the so, and, and, and the reason I think we take this approach is because, again, we want to give all those aspects. And by giving all those aspects, again, we can go in classroom and talk about it all day long. And we really won't grab a kid until it's more of the field trip. Mm -hmm. Take them in a the classroom, you talk about it, one. You grab them and you get them interested because we're talking about the money aspect, the economic aspect. Because now you know kids, they want to hear about money. Okay, at the end of the day, how much money am I going to make doing this? So mm -hmm. we do that, and so we grab them in from there. After we grab them in from there, that's when we take them on a field trip and let them see. Then after that, it's that whole ant, the hands-on part. So we're hoping that by us having that approach, then we will grab more kids because they get to see all of the aspect versus just one or the other. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So let's talk about like what your what your your hands-on stuff looks like. Do you guys have like property? Um, you know, let's start with Trevor first. Do you have like land that the kids are getting to, you know, do stuff on? I currently live on a farm. I work at uh, my day job is Kentucky State University. We have a research farm out there. We also have an organization. I'm the co-founder of Black Soil Our Better Nature, and we have a, a network of black farmers around Central Kentucky. And so, as far as the hands-on, obviously we uh, steer the tourism part to these farms. Then also do hands-on workshops, urban gardening workshops, so uh, container gardening with barrels. These are like one-hour, two-hour workshops. Uh, mm -hmm. seeding activities with like peat moss pods and uh, there's actually hemp starters now so I don't know if y'all are aware Kentucky is hemp capital you know that's becoming a new buzzword and so I think it's real important that kids understand the context of hemp outside of cannabis and you know the smokable form mm -hmm. uh, uh, like I said so traditional gardening and so some of the spaces you know we do invite the kids to come out and actually start our job mm -hmm. is to facilitate that and you know uh cut through the red tape so to speak to, to have these direct connections right right and i feel like what i'm hearing you know from your stories over and over is is a network like you guys have a network of you know you you started by networking just meeting each other you know going mm -hmm. to different places and then you know trying to teach kids as well as support these so these diff different businesses, these different farms, um, by having that network of people. I think that's really important to um, note as a, as a professional, whether you're running it as a business or a nonprofit, um, the sheer power of having a network. Jeremo, what you got going on? Where does Max live? Um, Max currently is at Locust Trace Ag Center, which is a, I guess you would call it a technical high school. Um, but Originally, before then, he was at a friend's farm. And again, uh, this program, Frankie's Corner of the Third Bear Crusade, is pretty much a spiritual discernment. So, you know, a lot of people, if I tell them that they don't understand what that is. And when I started this program, I had nothing. When I say I didn't even have my horse. So I bought my horse. After I bought my horse, um, the particular farm that I bought my horse from, um, they didn't let me do anything at that farm. Um, I had a couple kids that would come out here and there and I would teach them stuff. And so what ended up happening was uh, with another organization that I partnered with, we found a physician that had a farm, which they have quarter horses on the side. So mm -hmm. they let me come out on the farm and, and let me do anything and everything that I need to do. I mean, if I wanted to have Trevor come out and plant corn or whatever they would let me do that um as far as the foliage is there um 
the round pin is there. So that is where, you know, that that's going to be my forever home. But it was easier for me to go to the school because having kids dropped off at the school made it so much easier. Then mm -hmm. not that, but we had an indoor arena. Well, here in Kentucky, we get pretty much two seasons. Um, and that winter season is pretty brutal for the kids. Kids are not built like us. You know, we will go outside, you know, if it's 20 below, 30 below, probably have the time to get in trouble for not coming in the house. But now kids, if it gets anywhere below 40, they don't want to be outside. So mm -hmm. now being at the school, it actually gave me an opportunity to go volunteer during the school hours, get more kids to come because at the, at the facility of the school, there's so many kids in the program that the teacher really can't get to those kids one-on-one. -on -one. Right. Get me to come and that, that way that I could grab more kids, but that facility also allowed me to have the program actually year round. Um, mm -hmm. so pretty much, you know, 365 days out of the year, we can be there. Um, and the kids have, you know, a safe environment. They have an indoor riding arena versus me having to put them in a very small paddock them you know falling over the fence or whatever the case may be now they're in an actual indoor arena been able to learn how to ride work with horses um, mm -hmm. and stuff so no yet not yet have we not got that one big piece of land where we can bring seed and saddle to that land but i think it to an existence where it right. will happen where we will be able to get kids to come out we can charge and you know horseback riding teach them how to do potting soil, whether it be a farm where people can come and have, you know, food, or what is it? Uh, like a community garden. Yeah, community gardens, or whether, you know, I'm a cook, so we can have food there and, you know, bring people and do a whole tour. Things are gonna happen. Yes. Uh, and that's why, you know, I'm super excited about the partnership. You know, God has a reason for everything. And I don't, you know, people are like, well, do you have an MOU? I said, I don't believe Trevor's that type of dude. I've never had that feeling, and Trevor knows it. If I have a feeling about somebody, I'm going to come to him like, what do you think, man? Mm -hmm. Deep down in my gut, I ain't feeling it. With Trevor, it's never, I don't even have to worry about that. Now, later down the road, if he wants to do that paperwork or whatever, for, you know, but for me, it's not even about that. Mm -hmm. I know that our partnership was so organic, and I know it wasn't nothing but God ordained. So I don't think of that type of stuff. So yes, in the future, at some point in time, yeah, we will have that entity together. But right now, we kind of do our separate things, but come together and we make it work um, through mm -hmm. partnerships from our grassroots programs that we have. You guys are like the male versions of us. Just oh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Like how y'all even met? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like like as you're talking, I'm like looking at Caitlin, like yep, like yep, yep. yep we did that too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but that is pretty cool. I'm super excited about everything you guys have got going on. Like it, it just sounds yeah, amazing. Yeah, like how many kids do you guys think you've like serviced or you know got in your programs and stuff? You got Trevor. It depends on presentations or actual uh, workshops. Like mm -hmm. actual workshops, like hands. Well, actual workshops, because like I said, so I've been doing this for the last five years now. So I would say upwards to about a hundred and fifty actual hands-on works. No, no, no. About uh, 300 actual hands-on workshop and over 10,000 presentations. In oh, wow. presentations. Mm -hmm. So the presentations, I'm not as high, but I think that I have, if I say how many kids that I had to, I've directly affected, um, in my program, I've, I've had a roster of about 50. I mean, they mm -hmm. all at the same time, but between Max and I going out to different events and stuff, I've probably been around about 10,000 kids within the last five years. So it sounds like we started around the same time, but did not know. Um, mm -hmm. in 2015. So um, it sounds like he started about the same time that I did. And it just, again, organically came together. But we've done as many presentations as Trevor. I think as far as presentations, I've probably done about maybe, I'd say 125 or so. Um, within mm -hmm. five years. Um, and again, they range from um, 
uh, facility, our faculty staff of the school system to um, uh, the manners program, manners events. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it ranges. It, it is widespread. Mm -hmm. How does it feel being, you know, that first person that introduces these kids to horses or introduces them to agriculture? It's great. Go ahead, Trevor. No, I remember specifically in fourth grade, I got memory like an elephant. There was one black man that came to present at our school in fourth grade. His name was Mr. Leon Slattery. He was pre presenting through 4-H. Other than that, the uh, UK cheerleaders came. That was sometime in elementary school. Uh, Dare, I don't know if y'all had Dare class. Mm -hmm. Okay, the mm -hmm. Dare officer, he came. And there was a bird lady. She used to bring eagles. But the only black person that ever came to class, that was in fourth grade. And so my thing was, I remember that. With everything I've lived through, I remember that one black male that stood at the front of the room giving instruction. And so my thing is, you know what? If I can affect two people, I ain't going to say one. I'm going to say if I can affect two people at some time during their life, I might not ever know about it. But sometime during their life, they're, they're, uh, they're inspired. They're motivated by action that I was able, because I'm a part of it. Like, you know, uh, Jermo and I, we, like he said, this isn't the us thing. <laughs> you know, both of us have lived long enough to kind of enjoy, you know, the, the spoils of living, right? right. Mm -hmm. and so I guess the bigger honor of it is, is being able to actually uh, teach something that we're passionate about. And not only just passionate, understanding it to me, this is a real crusade. You know, I'm I'm with the equity in, in sports, but guess what? Our, our boys is out there getting concussions. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm with equity and entertainment, but hey, you know, we need to be producers. Mm -hmm. We our, our ancestors were producers, and the best way to honor our ancestors is to is to get is to take back those things that they got so good at and get the check for it. What did Martin Luther King yep. say? We're going to get the check. These people ain't gonna give us a check for free. We influence society enough. And if we can get our young people, because the thing is, neither Jermo and I are like Albert Einstein specialists. You know, this is a labor of love. This is passion. Mm -hmm. And so my thing is, yeah, you do see a field full of us running, running, chasing balls and, and shooting balls when it comes to who's the ones making the lumber for this court. Who's the ones growing the grass mm -hmm. or doing the science for this field? That's yeah. what I want to compete in. And, this is, and if we can influence these kids to get involved in that, you know, when they look at the derby, hey, you know, that looks like... I, I see a lot of money being made there, and I don't see a lot of faces that look like me. When I look mm -hmm. at these history books, I see your Isaac Murphy's. You know what I'm saying? Hold up. And so we want these kids to, to embrace that. Don't look at it like, oh, this is some boring presentation. Like, no, we want this to be your challenge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know their minds will take them, you know, their minds will take them where they're supposed to go. It's just planting that seed, right? Yeah. Yep. I'm same thing with, you know, with Trevor. Like I say, this is my guy right here. That's my grandfather. It's funny if I could show you a closer picture of it. He's doing everything wrong. And it's funny because I teach my kids, he's doing everything wrong because he's holding on to this rope really, really tight. When the fact of the matter is, this horse can't go nowhere but up and come right back down. So, right. you know, like Trevor, I cannot recall anybody within the industry that looked like me. I had a, a cousin that was a farrier and had I known and had he lived long enough how much money he was making like going to a secondary college list I don't kill that away from anybody but when you can make a hundred dollars per horse that's a lot of money mm -hmm. but it, our kids do not get to see that because nobody talks about it mm -hmm. um you know again it's a passion project but it's a passion project for us because it's like we know about it, and if we just give this information to some other kid outside of the sports realm, mm -hmm. um, also get to college through these two entities. Mm -hmm. Two entities where there's scholarships that are given on a regular basis, but our kids don't think about it because mm -hmm. nobody is talking about it. Mm -hmm. exactly. Basketball, and again, I know that having a horse, everyone thinks it is so expensive. And I tell them, it's probably no more expensive than being on an A18. Right. AU team. I mean, yeah. I umpire baseball, and I've got kids that say they pay $1,500 just to be on a sports team. That's bottom. 
there's some sports teams that are $3,500. You're pretty much, you're paying for the whole year. However, you're only playing for maybe four months out of the year. Yeah. And that's be on a team. On top of that, you're lodging. Mm-hmm. And you're yes. Yourself. Yes, yeah. Man, do you know, if somebody was to give you a horse for $500 that knew nothing, you train this horse up to be a great, whether it be a trail rider, whether it be Western dressage, whether it be dressage, you turn around and sold this horse that you got for $500 and sell it for $2,500, dollars $2.5 dollars $2. Think about that investment. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids are like, huh, what are you talking about? I said, think about it. Mm-hmm. Someone gives you something, you put a little bit of passion and love into it, and you turn around and sell it. Yeah. Get your coin from what you know. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of kids are like, well, how come we never knew about it? I said, it's no different than when they want to keep knowledge from it. They put it in the book, right? It's mm-hmm. the same exact thing. Yeah. Keeping all this knowledge from you because they don't want you. I mean, think about it. You ride past, um, here in Kentucky, you can ride past a ton of fields. You might have 20 fields in a horse. You'll never look at it. <laughs> because you're so used to seeing it, right? It's become second nature to you, but nobody's ever thought to you, well, dang, those 20 horses have gotten sold. I think what I say, Trevor, I think that the statistic that I gave last year alone, just in horse sales from the two major sales here in this city, I think it was $2.4 million. No, $3 billion. Three billion. Three, it was it was three big. Well, no, I'm just talking about in horse sales. I'm not as far as the whole equine industry itself. Right. In Kentucky was six point nine billion dollars. Yeah. Wow. And we aren't tapping into that. <laughs> right. Uh-uh. <laughs> that part right there. So my thing is, these little kids, you know, they look at basketball and baseball and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I promise. <laughs> right, ain't problems. This is one injury and you're done. And I, I explain to this, I explain this to them all the time. It, it's funny because I have a bigger issue with the parents than the kids. Mm-hmm. I say, you know what? I said, if your kid goes out here and let's say he's learning sport, he's learning equine. That's a horse injury. <laughs> I think <laughs> so, and he's learning sports. He's learning equine. He stays at him at the same time. He breaks his fibula once. He breaks his other fibula twice. He's no good on a basketball court anymore. Mm-hmm. He still has equine. He can sit and do a walk, trot, canter every weekend for the rest of his life and probably will make just about as much money as a professional athlete. Top of that, you could probably do that seven days a week. Right. So, and a lot of parents are like, what? And I'm like, yes, it's information that I'm trying to give to you. You can go to school and do this. And again, it's it's for us, it's all about just giving that information um, and exposing the kids to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you do any programs or like try to target adults at all, like outside of just these kids' parents? Um, no, we haven't made it there yet. Um, and the only reason I say that is because I've been doing this for five years, and I don't know if you guys have any programming. For us, the kids, is not the problem. It's the parental engagement. Mm-hmm. They, we have to sell that value to the parent. Mm-hmm. We can't get the parent to buy in. It does no good to get the kid to buy in. Right. You can say, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, I want to do this all day long. But the thing is, most parents are so scared of horses because of the unknown. And the statistic that I give them all the time is, do you know the equine industry is at the very bottom of the totem pole when it goes to hospital injury? They're like, no. I say, you got to realize something. You're dealing with the animal versus when you're dealing with a sport, you're dealing with human beings. Mm -hmm. So you got a kid that's, you know, either he got dunked on or he got tackled really hard, their emotion is still there. They're going to keep that in the back of their mind. Versus with a horse, hey, you pick up a talk, 
and keep doing that tarp and swinging that tarp, guess what? Eventually, that tarp is going to mean nothing to him. Mm. Versus here, where four plays later, he got re hit really hard. Guess what? Now you got a blindside hit, neck broken, arm broken, and all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. you know, again, like I said, the biggest thing for us is parental awareness. Um, and once we get that parental awareness, um, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. And I was just going to say, even as, even if you are exposing kids to this information at, while they're young and they do nothing with it for years, when they have kids, they're more inclined to mm -hmm. put their kids in something like that because they're like, oh, well, that one time, you know, I did that once when I was a kid. Or even like people who end up with horses and, you know, picking up new hobbies later on in life, you know, they're more inclined to do something like that if they had a positive experience when they were younger. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really good that what you're doing, you know, you got to break the cycle, but you got to get in it, you know, at some point. Yeah. We can't expect it to happen overnight, but you exposing these kids, the next generation, that foundation is already going to be there. Mm -hmm. So, that's what we hope. Yeah, yeah. You have any more questions for them, Caitlin? I just want to say that y'all are awesome, and <laughs> I cannot wait <laughs> to see, you know, the, the, uh, quantitative side of what you all come up with over the next years because that's going to be something that's going to stick with people they're going to start looking at numbers and they're going to be like okay well this just really work and then you know I think y'all will just continue to grow and I'm excited yeah listen we appreciate what you guys do I mean I've been kind of checking you guys out and I see that y'all kind of plug everybody in and listen at the end of the day I think it's somehow some way if we could pull some type of you know whether it be a East Coast, West Coast, South, you know, thing, um, form together, just mm -hmm. say that this can be a bigger thing because it's funny. Where do you guys, what, what part of the country you guys live in? North Carolina and Virginia. So North Carolina and Virginia, we're in Kentucky and it's funny. So we're all on this, I guess, the Southern Eastern part of the world. And I know here in Kentucky, seeing African-Americans on horses or in agriculture, is very little. I don't know if Trevor talked about um, the African Americans that he deal with that's in farming, and most of those those farmers. Would you say, Trevor, the average age is what sixty five? Sixty five in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Sixty five, and it's funny to go see these sixty five year olds. One of the two of them are broke down, mm -hmm. but that lets me know that one is doing the work, or they're actually both doing the work, but at the same time they're breaking themselves down. But mm -hmm that I was trying to make was if we could get some type of form together because if you go out on the west coast this stuff that we're talking about is so normal I don't know if you guys have heard of uh, now they've got this Compton Cowboys thing it's so funny they kind of pumped themselves up because when I lived in California it was just you know a bunch of people riding now they're making it a cool thing they go yeah. And yeah we interviewed them a couple weeks ago or yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, like, they've made it so, so, so big now, because when I lived there, it was just, you know, you had a couple people that kind of rode through their neighborhoods, or they would trail their horse up and go take a ride, but now they kind of made it a glamorous thing, which to me is cool. It's fine. But at the same time, I don't know if they're bringing the kids in, or for us, it's more about the long road. Not the right now, but the long road and how that you can make a business from it if, if you get in, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they are. They they have the um their nonprofit, the Compton Junior Posse or Compton Cowboy, okay. Questions. Yeah, so yeah, they, uh, they have a they don't they don't do a large number of kids, um mm -hmm. just because they do they focus on education as well. So they don't want to, you know, get a large group of kids and then not be able to put that that time. The one on one time. time. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. They're doing some super cool stuff. Oh yeah, yeah and it's, it's we, we need to step up over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it would be pretty awesome for us to all come together and just be like a, a party of the minds. Because yes. I mean, just I mean, the power of social media. Honestly, you know, us being able, yeah. I mean, us being able to connect to people that 
we literally would never have known that you guys mm -hmm. are doing this. I mean, we're states away. Right. Um, you know, that's just something that we are very fortunate to have today. So mm -hmm. I'm thankful for that. We appreciate this platform. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So what is, what is um, one word of advice that you can give the aspiring, whether they be an equestrian or the aspiring person that wants to put something together to educate a group of people? You said one word or advice? Just advice, not not like one word. <laughs> I, I think the one the the thing that I would say is uh, don't be a don't be afraid to change the narrative. Mm -hmm. Actually, not really changing the narrative. All you're really doing is bringing it back to the surface. Because mm -hmm. at one point in time, we were already doing it yeah. for whatever reason. It got depleted or went, you know, wherever it went to. But don't be, a, don't be afraid to change the narrative. And the one thing that I've learned is be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Trevor, what about you? <laughs> so just, uh, so I'm a, I'm a student of Neely Fuller. So I believe every, every action we take has to be constructive. And don't wait on somebody else to do it for us. You know, if you're in a for if you're in the woods, a lion ain't gonna wait for a gazelle to magically just pop up on his plate. He's gotta develop hunting skills to hunt it. We understand that we come from a village culture, you know, it's upon each of us to pass down what's behind us. And so, you know, my my thing, uh tying on to what he said, don't be scared to uh shake shake things up. You know, don't wait on somebody else to fund our, you know, fund our liberation, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, you know, the Most High has endowed us with uh, capabilities. We're all being given a light to shine. Light, lights don't talk. They shine. People in darkness watch them, and then they travel their path. And yeah. so don't wait on somebody to pay you to shine your light, because most of the time they pay you to dim it. That's my guy, the philosopher. That's why I hang with him, because he's a philosopher. <laughs> That was that was amazing. That was perfect. perfect. That is gonna be a perfect little sound bite. Both of y'all, you just you're great. You're amazing. Appreciate <laughs> you guys. Anytime you need us, don't hesitate to reach out. Whatever we do, we will definitely try our best to do. Um, I mean, at least to keep this thing going. Do something together. <laughs> I know. I know. I already got my mind wheels working. I know it's going. We're gonna <laughs> We're going to have to reach out and definitely collaborate on something soon. Sounds good. Sounds good to oh, me. Huh? Gotta let everybody know your, um, your oh, social yeah. medias and where to find you. Um, I am at Frankie's Corner Little Third Bird Crusade or www.frankiescorner.org. You can find more uh, information about Farmer Brown at www.farmerbrownthemc.com. That's farmerbrownthamc.com and also blacksoil.life blacksoil.life awesome all righty well thank you guys so much for joining us on our episode today we thank you ladies you guys keep up the absolutely amazing outstanding work that you guys are doing <laughs> thank you thank you for tuning in to another episode of young black equestrians sponsored by the online writers collective be sure to head over to our facebook and instagram pages give us a follow subscribe to our youtube channel and let us know what you think about this episode with farmer brown and germo these programs are amazing and we would love for you to support them see you guys next week